Mark chapter number 10, look with me in verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Boy, this is starting out good, isn't it? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. It just keeps getting better. And the Bible said, he said unto him, One thing thou lackest. Go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. I wished every story ended on a good note. I wished everything in the Bible was just on the top and ended like we really want it to. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. I want to hurry and get out of the way, but I want to preach on this thought for just a few moments. Making the most of our encounters with the Lord. Making the most of our encounters with the Lord. I just want to say right out the gate that I am totally ashamed of myself because I feel like for the last going on now 25 years of my life since the Lord came to me the first time I've just not made the most out of all my encounters that I've had with the Lord. And I was thinking about this meeting and I was thinking this morning as I mentioned some things to you about the meeting and what it's meant to my life and my family and our church. And I was thinking about what God has done and even in this meeting, have I really made the most out of our encounters with the Lord? My, we could go to services where God has just moved in and, and you, I mean, just in a mighty way and we're way up here and then sometimes God will move in and it'll be real still and he's always working and moving in times we've seen just a couple of years ago, we had 17, I think, saved in one particular afternoon service. Justin's here, he was saved in that service and how we've seen God do so many great things but then leave and, and did we make the most out of it? I can go back to times in my life when uh, I've been alone with the Lord or just me and God, not in a service, but just me and Him and, and, and then look back on it and say, Lord, did I really make the most out of that encounter that I had with you? They tell me that the word encountered simply means an unexpected or a casual meeting with someone. And I'll just say this to you, it was very unexpected in my life 25 years ago when God, the God of heaven. See, I'm going to tell you something, why, why part of, why, a lot of times when you talk about our lives not changing, we've got over what God has really done. 
who he is, who we are, what we deserve, what he should give us, but God, who is rich in mercy. And I'm telling you, in that mercy came, and we have had the opportunity to have an encounter with the God of heaven. Oh, what a happy day and a pleasant surprise that you and I, somebody like you and me, can have an earthly encounter with a heavenly and holy God. But I'm telling you, this week as we enter into Jubilee, oh, 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 shouldn't we make the most out of our encounters that we're gonna have with the Lord? Whether it's on a Sunday night, a Monday morning, a Tuesday afternoon, a Wednesday night, the last service on Thursday night, whatever God wants to do, however God orchestrates it, I'm telling you, come prepared, come ready to make the most out of every encounter. I'm going to tell you something, friend. God has been so good to us to visit with us time and time and time again. You think about it. Every time you've went to pray, he's never put you on hold. He's never said, let me check the the other line. Hang on, I'll be right back to you. There's somebody more important waiting on a need for me to meet. Hey, every time you bowed your head, he's been there. Every time you pillowed your head, you felt his presence. Every time that you've had a need, God's been there to meet it. I'm telling you, he's been better to us than what we've ever deserved. And we better make the most out of our encounters with him. Just a couple of things I would say. Number one, I say first of all, his, this, this young man, his encounter starts off in a real good way. Verse 17, and when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeling to him and asking, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Three things you need to notice. Number one, he gets to the Lord with great anticipation. The Bible says he comes running to him. I mean running to Can I just say this to you? Let me say something to all you young people. Don't let a bunch of starchy old Baptists who's lost their zeal and lost their fire and lost their drive keep you from having it. Are you listening to me? I'm telling you, I started out with some guys. They used to be on fire for God. They used to preach the paint off the wall and now they got a little educated, got a little name, got a little degree attached to them. They've calmed down, cooled off. But can I just say this? He came running with great anticipation to see the Lord. That's how you ought to come to church when you're going to have an encounter with the Lord. There ought to be great anticipation in your heart and mind and life of what God is going to do when you get in his presence. Number two, he not only gets to the Lord with great anticipation, he approaches the Lord in a good position. The Bible said there came one running and kneeling to him. I want you to understand when you get in his presence, when you and I, if we have the opportunity to have an encounter with the Lord, there is a position that you and I need to take. Now I understand that you don't always have to be on your knees to show reverence, but it is the reverence of a man's heart. And I'm telling you, I watch people come in and out of church. Their heart is not bowed to the Lord. Their spirit is not submitted. And if you think that you're gonna make the most out of an encounter with the Lord and you're not willing to bow before him and submit to him, friend, you are crippling too high for crutches. It ain't going to work. I'm telling you, if you're going to make the most out of an encounter with the holy God of heaven, there's going to have to come a submission inside of you and me, a place where we're willing to kneel in his presence and know there is one mightier than us. There is one holier than us. There is one more righteous than us. There is one more deserving in us. And we've had the privilege to get in his presence and it would do us good to know how to humble ourselves in the mighty presence of God. 
He gets to the Lord with great anticipation. He approaches the Lord in a good position. But then number three, he asked the Lord a real good question. He said, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? You talking about something starting out real good? This thing's building. I mean, it's starting out, and you can't have a better start than what's going on right here in verse number 17. The greatest question that a man can ask the Lord when he gets into his presence is the one this young man asked him. How do I get to heaven? How do I have eternal life? What do I need to do? I'm telling you, this boy seems like he is making the most out of his encounter with the Lord. Don't waste God's time and don't waste your time. I'll be honest with you, I don't mean this mean. I really don't. I'm not trying to be a smart aleck, but I've just learned over the years, I don't know why some people even come to church. I'll be honest with you, and I'm not being mean. I, I want them there more than I don't. You understand what I'm saying, Brother Laddie? But I'm just telling you, Brother Barnes is right. Looking from here out, sometimes you wonder, why don't you just go where you really want to be? Because they are not here. And I'm not just talking about Bible Baptist Church. I'm talking about Faith Baptist Church and the churches I preach in across this country. I'm telling you tonight, I just don't know why. You say, what do you mean? I'm saying when this boy got there, he had something pressing on his heart. I'm telling you, when we get to church, honey, it shouldn't be about the ball field and it shouldn't be about next week and it shouldn't be about the job. It should be about the Lord of glory and hearing what heaven has to say about an eternal need way down on the inside of our heart. I want to be changed by the grace of God. His encounter starts off in a real good way. Number two, his encounter, I notice, develops into the Lord's way. Here's what I've learned about encounters with the Lord. I don't know much, but what I have learned is this. You may come with an expectation, and that's fine, as long as you will let him have that expectation and be willing to change it when he wants to. Because I've learned that in my encounters with him, he wants my, his ways are so far above my ways. They're past finding out. My ways are not his, his are not mine. But I'll tell you this, I've learned that when I have an encounter with him, he is immediately, when I get into his presence, he begins to develop that encounter into his own way. Now let me pause here. If it's gotta be your way, might as well just stop right there. And we're living in that society, my way or the highway. That's why husbands and wives can't get along. They can't have a common ground, meet in the middle, talk things through, come to a settling point. Nope, it's got to be my way. No, it's got to be my way. Well, I'll tell you what way it's going to be. It's going to be the way of divorce is what it's going to be. You've got to come to a place where you can talk things out. And we're living in a society, it's my way or no way. Can I say it this way? It's God's way or no way. And in his encounter, in an encounter with him, you're going to have to let the Lord develop it. Three things. Number one, the Lord tries, first of all, to increase this young man's faith. Look at verse 18. Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Now here's the way, Brother Holcomb, I see this conversation going. This young man approaches the Lord. They're standing here having a conversation. Jesus said, got an opportunity to increase this young man's faith. How do we know how does a man please God? The only way you can please God is by faith. The only way 
God's going to move in your direction is by faith. And so to trust him, what is faith? Faith is you and I being obedient to the revealed will of God for our life. That is what faith is. And so God is speaking. And so Jesus turns to him and says, who is God? He's waiting on an answer. He's wanting him, come on, answer and, and, and so he's looking to increase this young man's faith. And I want you to understand something. When you come to God, the first thing he's looking to do in your life is increase your faith. You can mark it down. No matter what encounter you're going to have with the Lord, somewhere in the circumference of that encounter, he is looking to put his finger on your faith in your life to increase that faith because that's where God is glorified in your life. Number two, he not only, the Lord does not only try to increase his faith, but the Lord challenges his foundation. Look at verse 19. Thou knowest the commandments, he said. Jesus talking to him. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. He begins to challenge his foundation. In other words, he is getting to the heart of the matter here. Jesus is going to challenge the very foundation that this young man's life is built upon. I would say this, build your life on things that are pure, on things that are holy, on things that are right, on things that are godly, on things that honor the king. But understand this as well, you will never get to heaven just doing right. You will never get to heaven just by doing the right thing, just by saying the right words, just by going to the right church. There must be a relationship established between you and God Almighty. You can go to hell squeaky clean, but I'm telling you, only Jesus can birth you into the family of an almighty God. He is challenging this young man's foundation, but then number three, the Lord gives him an opportunity to exhibit his faith. And after this, verse verse number 20, he said unto, unto him, Master, all these things have I observed from my youth. Now, used to, when I read that verse, I would say that young man was lying. But I'll be honest with you. He might not have been lying. Because all the things that Jesus tells him to do, all these commandments that Jesus brings up to him, they're toward man. They're not toward God. He said, do not commit adultery. He probably never had. Do not kill. Probably never had. Do not steal probably taught not to. Do not bear false witness. His mom and daddy taught him to keep his mouth shut. Uh, do not defraud or defraud not. He, he probably had never taken anything by false accusation. Honor thy father and mother and probably been taught to do that. Probably was in a good home with a good foundation. So he probably had done those things. But what Jesus does is he gives him an opportunity to exhibit his faith. This is not an opportunity to exhibit your faith. This is church. This is where we are challenged in our faith. This is where we are exhorted to have faith. This is where we are, faith is promoted. Watch what Jesus said in verse 21. Then Jesus beholding him loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, here it is, go. Thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. He gives him a chance to exhibit this faith. 
This faith that he says he has, can I just say this to you? This young man's got a whole lot of religion. But he has no relationship that has ever transformed his life in Jesus Christ. He gives him an example. Listen, you say, preacher, I don't understand. I can come to church on Sunday and feel like I get help and feel like God challenges my heart. But on Monday, I find myself right back in the same rut. You know why? Because Sunday, you're exhorted to have faith. You're challenged to have faith. You're promoted to have it. But on Monday, it's where the shoe leather's put on and you need to exhibit that faith in God. So his encounter with the Lord, it starts off in a real good way. His encounter develops into the Lord's way. But thirdly, I see that his encounter ends in the most terrible of ways. It ends in the most terrible of ways. Now, as a pastor here, let me just slow down a second. I love watching people come to church. Now, used to, I would watch people come to church, but I realized that can be dangerous. It affects me too much. What I mean is, Brother Mike, I felt like everybody ought to come to church fired up. Everybody don't come to church fired up. So when I'd watch somebody come in and they wasn't fired up, it would suck the life out of me. I just figured everybody ought to want to be there, but I figured out everybody don't want to be there. So I just quit watching people. And, but, but what I'm saying is there, this, this expectancy and this, this uh, Jesus here, this encounter and, and this terrible that ends in a terrible way. When I see people come in, I'm just wanting people to get help. I'm wanting people to worship. I'm expecting people just to get in on a meeting. I'm expecting people to want to do what God put in my heart to do, but I found out it don't happen that way all the time. Matter of fact, I've watched people come in, know they're lost, and watch God deal with them. Now, I'm not some super spiritual saint, but I know when the Holy Ghost is moving and when God's working on somebody and I've watched them shed tears and I've watched them pull, about pull the cushion out of the seats and I've watched them fidget, leave the service. I've watched people come in, knew they wasn't right with God, knew they wasn't right with their brother. God move in a service and watch them walk out the door, never changed, never different, never delivered, ending in a terrible way. In other words, they did not take advantage of an encounter that they had with the Lord. You can travel the pages of your Bible from Genesis to Revelation and watch men and women all through the Bible have different encounters with the Lord and how those encounters turned out. And I don't have time to preach them to you tonight. We're going to concentrate on this young man for just a moment. But I want you to understand everything doesn't end on a high note. Everybody's encounter doesn't end in a positive way. There's some people sitting in this building tonight. You've heard so much preaching. Listen, you've heard enough preaching to save the world and twice over. But it's not what you've heard. It's what you're doing with what you've heard that makes a difference. Some of y'all are sitting out there in rebellion tonight. No, not on your face. You're smiling and you shook my hand this morning and Brother Barnes and you'll shake the preacher's hand tonight but I'm telling you in your heart there's so much rebellion and there's bitterness and I'm telling you you're eat up with it and you know it but you're not doing it. You're not taking advantage of an encounter with the Lord. Three things. Number one, he didn't, first of all, he didn't seem to get the answer he wanted. That's where a lot of people go astray. See, we come to the Lord with this preconceived idea that this is how the Lord is supposed to do it. 
I'm going to go to church with a need or I'm going to go to God in prayer with a need or I'm going to Jubilee this week with a need and this is what God needs to do and this is how God ought to do it. I'm going to tell you why this, this young man's uh, encounter with the Lord ended in a terrible way is because he had a preconceived idea. He did not get the answer that he wanted from the Lord. What did you come looking for tonight? Did you come looking for your answer or did you come looking for his answer? Because this young man didn't get his answer. He didn't get the answer he wanted. He got God's answer to his problem. Turn Dr. Phil off a little while. Let Oprah Windbag calm down in your life. Get her voice washed out. Quit calling your, your, your double first cousins aunt on your mama's side who tells everybody what to do and how to do it in your family and start listening to the voice of God. He didn't seem to get the answer he wanted. I'll tell you why this encounter ended in a terrible way. It's because he doesn't do what we all want him to do. Can't you see it now? Here we go. The preacher's preached his sermon and I'm standing there and they're playing a verse and maybe singing a verse of a song and I'm standing there, I'm pleading. Why don't you come this morning? Why don't you come tonight? Why don't you let the Lord help you? You think we're just up here saying those things because we don't have anything else to do? No, honey. A real preacher wants to see somebody get help. A real preacher wants to see somebody's life change. A real preacher wants to see you have a real encounter with the Lord and to see you get what God wants you to have. And so we're pleading and I can see Jesus just anticipating. He's, he's got him down now, Brother Laddie, to the invitation. But he doesn't, he doesn't do what we all want him to do. Y'all been sitting there, Brother Barnes, know somebody needs God, know somebody needs help, know somebody needs to repent. And we're all sitting there, oh God, please get a hold of sister so-and-so. Oh God, get a hold of brother so-and-so. Oh God, that, that kid's daddy came today. That kid's mama's here today. That family we invited. And you watch them leave. It don't turn out. They don't do what we want. What are you wanting them to do? You're wanting them to get up out of a seat like you've known yourself to do. Come to an old-fashioned altar. Fall at the feet of Jesus Christ. Get born again. Get the spiritual heaven. But he never moved. I'll tell you why this encounter ends in a terrible way. He didn't, get, he didn't seem to get the answer he wanted. He doesn't do what we all want him to do. But you hear me. He does the thing that no man should ever do. The Bible said, he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved. Now you hear me. If you're a Calvinist tonight, look up here at me eyeball to eyeball. I'm not a Calvinist the cousin of a Calvinist. Are you listening to me? I want you to understand something. God designed you as a free moral agent with the ability to choose. He is not a tyrant nor is he a dictator. Though he could be and he would still be God. But he is a loving Savior who is going to extend his mercy to your life but gives you the opportunity to choose what you're going to do with it. He does the one thing no man should ever do. 
He walks away from God. He wastes his encounter with the Lord. Now I mentioned this morning about this about the ta- about the towel about the pillow. Never mentioned again in the Scripture. But brother Laddie, this young man's never mentioned again in the Scripture that we know of. So what I'm saying is, we're so used to having all these encounters. You're in a good church, man. You got a great preacher. You got a great choir. You got great people. But you hear me. We're so accustomed to it. We just think that he owes it to us to show up. One time. One, one time. One. And he blew it. God don't owe you. Listen, boys. God don't owe you a thing. God doesn't owe me a thing. He doesn't have to come and visit me. When I hit my knees in the morning and I hit my knees tonight, I bow my heart. He he doesn't owe me anything. He don't have to come to me. He chooses to come to me. Oh, what a God. He chooses to come. And if he's going to choose to come, I want to put my arms around him, pull him up close, spend some time with him, get to know him. Make the most of it. Make the most of it. Hold on to him. He does the one thing, the one thing, the one you can't afford to do. You would be better off to walk away from every person in your life but him. See, he's not the only one. I'm reminded in the New Testament, all them religious leaders, they went away. They all went away. Matter of fact, if you study the life of Christ, you'll find out the multitudes went away. Oh, when Jesus was feeding bread and fish and when he was performing miracles and healing people, man, I'm telling you, crowds and crowds and crowds of people stood around and they wanted to hear him. But buddy, when he got down to the sermons, they were gone When he got down to where he had no place to lay his head and had no money to spend, they were gone. The multitudes went away. Judas went away. Judas slept where he slept. He heard the sermons. He ate his food. He watched the miracles. He was hand in hand with the Lord, but he went away. But according to John chapter number six and verse number 66, the Bible said that many of the disciples went away. Many of the disciples went away. Here's what the Bible said. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Can I just stop right here? Look at me. What? I got one question. Where are you going? I'm not trying to be funny. Do you know where I was when he found me? Where am I going to go? Where where, where are these guys? Where's Judas going? Where are these men going? I'm telling you, I watch them walk out 
Sunday after Sunday and Wednesday and Revival. And I watch them leave and go and don't come. And I'm, where are you going? And Jesus, in the very next verse, he said to the hey, Jesus, he said to the twelve, "Will ye also go away?" Now, watch Simon's response. He said, "Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life." Now, for all of Simon's shortcomings, he knew a few things. He said, Lord, I'm just going to be honest with you. There is nowhere else to go. You're it. You're it. We're not going nowhere. You've got eternal life. You are eternal life. He said, there's nowhere to go but you. And if you look at the two passages, what was that boy asking him about? Eternal life. He wanted to know how to inherit eternal life. And he walked away from it. You say, preacher, I'm saved tonight. You can't be preaching to me. Oh, yeah. Because not only is he the answer for that part of your life, he's also the answer for every other part of your life. Can I say this in closing? Just because a person encounters the Lord with great anticipation, they come into the house of God, maybe they even come in fired up. Great anticipation for what the Lord... I've seen people come in, man, fired up. Woo, oh, yeah, it's good to be here, preacher. It's good to see you. I mean, man, man. even sing in the choir, maybe shed a tear, hold up a hand, maybe testify. Great anticipation. And just because a person encounters the Lord that way, and just because a person encounters the Lord with a great position, and just because a person encounters the Lord with a good question does not mean that that person's encounter with the Lord ends with great celebration. There is nothing in Mark chapter number 10 to celebrate. Didn't the Bible say there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repenteth? Can't you see them? They're over there right now. That boy's come up to the Lord. He's made his way. To, and they're, they're getting ready to hit the keys on the eternal piano of heaven. They're getting ready to sing a, a hymn. And they're, here they go. They're licking their lips. They're getting ready to sing. And he walks off to never be heard from again. And he wasted his encounter. Now I got a question. I told you I was going to end in Hebrews 4. Give me two minutes. This has been on my heart so heavy. Not every life ends with great anticipation. I mean great celebration. Not every circumstance. And this one here in Mark 10 does not either. And I, I gotta, I, I've tried to figure this thing out. What's wrong with me? Because I look at me and go, I'm a terrible pastor. And I probably am. And I'm thinking, I'm a terrible Christian, terrible preacher. I'm, I'm all of these things. There's a verse. 
Verse 1, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left, uh, left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Now here is what I want you to get. How many believes you got a King James Bible and it's the Bible for the English-speaking people saying it? I mean, believe every jot, every line, every tittle is right. Preacher said it this morning. How many of you believe it is, it is inerrant, it is infallible? Say amen. All right, I got you. You said it, not me. You ready? For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word. Now, if it had said the preacher's personality right there, I could have lived with that. If he would have said the style of the church, I could have lived with that. But Brother David, the Bible said, the word preached did not profit them. What? You mean this King James Bible was preached. You understand what I'm saying? The word of God was preached and there's people sitting there that it didn't profit. They didn't gain anything from it. Their life wasn't changed from it. How is that possible? Y'all said, don't y'all, okay, let's take a check again. Y'all still believe it's Bible? You still believe it's life changing? You still believe in the power of God in it? I just believe this, it is God. It's God on paper, amen. Now you hear me. Here it is. The word preached did not profit them, comma. Not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Here's how a man's life has changed. He's sitting on a pew somewhere out there. Walks into a service. Maybe he don't even have great expect- anticipation. Maybe he's not even got great expectation. Maybe he's not got any of those things. I just, maybe he's not even in a great position. But he comes in and he sits down. And you think, well, you know, he's here. But there's nothing going on. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, heaven crawls down in his heart. All of a sudden, Brother Jones, all of a sudden, God from another world gets his attention. All of a sudden, something out of that message, something out of that word gets a hold of him. And something leaps up within him and says, yes, 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 I believe that. I believe that. And in a moment, if he'll act on that faith, his life has changed. His life has changed. You say, how do you know that? 25 years ago this October, for the first time in my life, God the Holy Ghost made this book alive in my heart for the first time ever. What could I do, Brother Barnes? The only thing, the only option I had, preacher man, is to say yes, yes, yes. I knew Jesus was real. I knew there was a heaven. I believed in a hell. But that day, that morning, that word got real in my heart. Oh, I'm telling you, by the grace of God, I said yes in my heart and I went to him and God changed my life. And for 25 years, I've been trying to do the same old thing. Just send me a word Lord. Send me a preacher Lord. Send me a verse Lord. I'll believe it if you'll help me and he's changed me. I'll tell you what that boy's problem was. That boy's problem was he didn't have any faith in what the Lord told him. And he he, he missed making the most out of his encounter with the Lord 
because he wouldn't mix that encounter. He wouldn't mix that word with faith. And you can sit here all week long this week and you can hear and you will hear, not me, but these men that will preach this week, you're going to hear some of the most choice men and they're going to take the Bible and preach it. And they have labored and they have prayed and they have studied and they have asked God to burden them to give to them something to give to you. And they can labor it and preach it and they can be dynamic and they can give every bit of them. They can give you everything. They can give you all the truth. But your life, you will leave Jubilee this week unchanged. Unchanged if you do not mix faith with what you hear.